0: listening to the Northside Christian Church sermon podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net.
1: Hey, Northside, can we just start by celebrating what God's doing around here and just seeing new life? And we're just praising the Lord for what he's up to. You know, if uh, someone came up to you and announced, "It's come to you," it's come to you. That could be good news, or that could be bad news, right? I'm like, like if you lived in Florida or South Carolina, and they're talking about Hurricane Adelia, and they're like, "It's come to you," that's bad news. Uh, we had some friends, friends of our church, uh, Chris and Jenny Brewer, and it was coming to them. That's bad news. On the other hand, if it's an inheritance, if it's a reward, if it's a scholarship, if it's a bonus. If it's a first-round draft pick and they're like, it's come to you, like, that's good news. And and what do you do? Like, what's your response when good news has come to you? The appropriate response is gratitude. It is an overwhelming sense of thankfulness that it has come to me. And I just want you to know, I I, I pray that today you're going to be not only filled with some gratitude, but reminded why you should be thankful because you've got some good news. I'm bringing good news to you today that Jesus Christ, God, came in the flesh and he died on a cross to die in your place. And he was raised from the dead, showing he had power over death. He ascended into heaven to show that he was, in fact, God who came and who went back to heaven to give us new life, to forgive us of our sins, to empower us in new ways, to change us, to heal us, to give us confidence that we could stand before his throne, not in fear. We don't have to live our lives in uncertainty about what happens when you die, what happens if you die. Where's your eternal security at? It's in Jesus. And I mean, when you know that, when you have that, you should be filled with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Like, do not take for granted the mercy and grace of God that's come to you in the fact that he gave you the good news of the gospel. Do not take for granted this blessing that it's come to you because it's not yet come to everybody. It has not yet come to everybody. Though it's growing, though it's spreading, there are so many today who do not have the hope of Jesus. They don't have the good news of Jesus. And so today, I just pray that we would just have this overwhelming sense of gratitude because that's an appropriate response when something good comes to you. That's really how Paul, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 really begins this book as we're going through the book of Colossians. And in... Chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, Paul just, as he reflects on the good news of the gospel coming to them, he's just filled with gratitude. Here's, uh, Let's read it together. Uh, I'll read. You can follow along, but it's here on the screen. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. That true message. It's come to you. The gospel of truth that Jesus has died in my place for my sins and rose again to bring new life with God. That's, it's come to you. And the text says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world. Just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. When you truly understood grace... That you're saved by grace, not by works. You're saved by grace, not by law. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you've been saved by the gospel of grace. God's gift to you in the person of Jesus Christ. It's come to you. When when you truly understood it, here's what he says. It began to bear fruit in you. It began to grow in you. And not just in you, but now it's growing through the whole world. And then verse 7 says this, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear and fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You learned it from someone. I mean, the gospel came to you through a person in the person of Jesus, but also through a person who you learned it from. And for the people in Colossae, they learned it from Epaphras. Epaphras likely learned it from Paul. Paul calls him a fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ on his behalf. The gospel came through someone to them. And the gospel came through someone to you. Maybe for you, it was a family member, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or a, a cousin, someone in your life. They, the gospel came to you through them. Maybe for you, it was at work through a coworker or an employer or an employee or through a customer that you were working with and, God brought the gospel to you through them. Maybe it was a teacher, a coach, a mentor in your life. Maybe it was a complete stranger that you learned it from. Perhaps like Paul, it was from Jesus himself that you learned it. Regardless, the gospel came to you through a person. And I think on Labor Day weekend, as we celebrate and are filled with gratitude for the labor force and for those who work and serve and contribute to our society, shouldn't we also celebrate the laborers of the gospel that God used to bring the gospel to you, to share it with you? In fact, today, one of the first things I hope we can do today is that we would show gratitude for those who brought the gospel to us. Show gratitude for those who brought the gospel to you. I don't know who that was for you, but perhaps a great response today would be, you know, this afternoon, just to send a text, or maybe even right now, this morning, you just send a text to the person who brought the gospel to you and just say, hey, I want to share a verse with you from Colossians chapter one. And, and, and you're, you're my Epaphras. You're the one that shared the gospel with me. And I want to thank you. When I pray to God, I'm filled with gratitude. And I thank God for you. Share that with them. Or perhaps you're sitting here and you're saying, I I won't be able to do that because they're already gone. They've already received their reward. They're with the heavenly father. Then just do what Paul did and just pray to God and thank God for them. Thank God for the gospel that they shared with you. What a gift. There's no greater gift for the world than the message of the gospel. When you think about what, what do we have that we could offer the world I know there's lots of great things we can do. I mean, we can give the world books. We can do that, but not everybody can read. It's not actually helpful to everybody. We can say, well, we'll we'll give the world food. And you're like, hey, most of the good food comes from the... Anyway, but we can give the world food, but people eat different things in different parts of the world and have different tastes and palates and all of that and preferences. I mean, we can say we can give clothing, which we do. We give a lot of clothing to the world, but there's different climates and there's different styles and there's different... Degrees of modesty for different cultures of what they perceive. So that could be tricky. How about money? Let's give money, but there's different currency. And as we already know, it doesn't solve all problems. It doesn't get to those in need. But the gift of the gospel... The gift of the gospel, when that seed is planted, it bears fruit, not just in you, but as Paul says, it's bearing fruit all over the world. The gospel, when it is spread and it is planted, it grows wherever it is planted. And it can grow there and here and there and everywhere. The gospel is good for every person and every time and every culture, everywhere. The gospel that's bearing fruit in the world is the greatest gift that we could give to others. And Epaphras is a prime example, not just of someone who shared it with other people, but someone who was changed by it. Like his life was different because of the power of the gospel. Michael DeFazio in his book, More Jesus, he he talks about how, you know, these people of Colossae who learned it from Epaphras, they knew Epaphras. I mean, they knew who he was. I'm assuming he's getting that from Colossians 4.12 where Paul says, he was one of you. He's telling the Colossae people, he was one of you. Like he was from Colossae. He's one of your own. I like how Michael DeFazio put this. He says, that means they, they knew his ex-girlfriends. It means they knew his old drinking buddies. They remembered how he left Colossae as a devout worshiper of Roman gods and goddesses because that's what they all were. But he came back, this worshiper of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. And Michael says, you know... Yeah, maybe I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but he's like, it, it's not a far stretch. He goes, just look at his name. His name was Epaphras, which was short for Epaphroditus, which means he was named for Aphrodite, the famous pagan goddess of love. What that means is he wasn't exactly raised to love Jesus. That's not how Epaphras was raised. He was one of them. His priorities were different. His life was different. And the Colossians The people of Colossae, they knew him. And these Colossian people not only knew him, but they saw him as a changed man, someone who had been changed transformed and changed by the power of the gospel. And they saw that this transformation was not just changing him, it was changing them. And not only that, but it was starting to change people around the world, like God's spirit in them was at work in them because they had put their faith in Jesus and now they were loving one another. And they were even loving this man named Paul who they hadn't even met yet. He hadn't even been there, but they loved him too because he was part of that faith family and it was producing fruit in them. It was growing them. It was changing them because The gospel came to them and they were filled with gratitude and Paul's filled with gratitude and it was bearing fruit, which means not only should we be grateful for those who have brought the gospel to us, but also we should trust that the gospel in us is bearing fruit. It's bringing about change, not just in us, but in the world. What does that mean, bearing fruit? It means that the authentic gospel changes lives wherever it goes. In 2 Corinthians 9.10, it says it produces a harvest of righteousness. Like you see the effects of it and it produces righteousness in people. And Paul would say here, man, it produces a deep love for people. He's seeing them love people that they wouldn't ordinarily love. There's, there's a deep love and affection, not just for each other, but even for those around them. And Paul's saying this this good news is changing things. It's bearing fruit in you and it's bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. Michael DeFazio says in his book, More Jesus, that the movement that you have joined, it, it's... It's not small, though it started small. There's probably just a couple house churches here in Colossae. That means at the most, at the max, you've got 150 people at the max that are believers, Christians in Colossae, that this letter is being written to in a community of 100 to 150,000 people. I mean, they're just a small portion of who is there in that community. And yet we know that that gospel was advancing. So much so that the Apostle Paul, who's in Rome which is the epicenter of that region of the world I mean it was known as the center of the world at that time the Roman empire all the way from Rome he's saying this gospel's spreading everywhere and maybe that seems like hyperbole that he would say that it's spreading everywhere across all places as he talks about in there in colossians but we know that it's happening growth is exploding Paul was saying in Colossians 1:23, 20, it's everywhere. And today we're starting to see that actually come to reality with our own eyes. It's happening. And so the growth may have started slow, but it expanded in exponentially. And I know that we live here in the land of the free, and certainly it doesn't feel like it's growing exponentially here. We look at our European ancestors, and it doesn't look like it's growing there significantly but Christianity is exploding in the South and and in the East. And Michael DeVosio would have said in his book that there's over 80,000 people coming to Christ every single day in our world. That was written in 2012. I know in 2015 that Roy Moran made the observation that we're not keeping ground with the population growth, with the number of Christians and, And so he was just pointing out that on the other side of 2.3 billion people that call themselves followers of Jesus, there's 4.7 billion without hope in our world, without the hope of Jesus in our world. and That that just seems overwhelming and discouraging. And it seems like, man, we're not keeping track or advancing like we ought, but here's what I want to do today. I want to show you that in fact, movement is happening in our world. And I know there's parts of our world that are incur- incredibly discouraging. I know at times it can be discouraging for us, but growth movement is happening in our world where we see exponential growth. And there's some great reports coming out. I was talking to Kylan Kirkendall, who shared with me this image I'm gonna put up here on the screen where they've been tracking movements and, and growth. And he came across this information was sharing it with me. And what you're seeing on the screen is that basically there are 1,967 movements that are happening globally in 2023 that those who are tracking this stuff are aware of. Movements is where you see exponential growth of disciples making disciples. It's multiplying two, four, eight, twelve, sixteen, 12, 16, and it's growing fast. They're seeing church planting movements happen where it's growing exponentially. So it is happening in the world. And the example that they're giving where they were, they started tracking this Years ago, as they said, in 1995, there were 10,000 disciples in movements where they could see it multiplying. In the year 2000, there was 10, excuse me. In 1995, there was 10,000. In the year 2000, there was 100,000. In the year 2005 that you see on the screen, there was a million. In the year 2015, there were 10 million. And now in 2023, there are 114 million people in 83, or excuse me, I need to slow down. There's 114 million people in 8.5 million churches that are found in 1,967 movements. That's what this is showing. There was an article written by Justin Long in January, February of this year, 2023, with Mission Frontiers. And he said that there's an additional 3,500 teams that are working to start more movements. And they're aiming for the promise. It's found in Scripture here in Matthew 24, verse 14, where it talks about the gospel being preached to all nations. And then the end will come. And they're working towards that. The 2414 Coalition's goal has been to engage every unreached people and place by December 31st of 2025. So in just over two years, that's their goal that they've been working towards, to reach every unreached people and place within the next, by now, which is just over two years from now. Justin Long, who's writing this article, said, while incredible progress has been made, he goes, he's skeptical that it's going to happen by that date. He's pessimistic that it'll happen by then. But he said, he's confident it's going to happen. It's going to happen probably within, potentially within the next 30 years. He's saying within his lifetime. That means for many of you, this could happen in your lifetime where the gospel makes it to every unreached people group and nation and place. If it continues some of the current trajectory that they've been tracking, it's, it's incredible to look at. And the reason he believes this is because now as they see movement happening, it's not relying on missionaries going from like the West over there or some other country there people, disciples are making disciples, you're making disciples, you're reproducing churches, you're reproducing churches. And so it's happening organically in the way that they come to faith where they see themselves as a disciple, are supposed to make a disciple. And so they're going, which means they're able to cross barriers that missionaries oftentimes are not able to cross. They're able to go right now into the hardest places, which have been the most difficult to get into. They can do it in ways that oftentimes people who are seen as missionaries can't do. And he says over 90% of movements over the that have been started in the past five to 10 years have been started by teams that were sent out from these movements without any Western cross-cultural workers involved. And that the growth of those movements over the last 35 years, if it were to continue the way they have seen movement happening, they're saying right now there's an average growth rate of 23%, where the number of believers are doubling every three and a half years. The number of believers are doubling every three and a half years in those movements. And so he says this, a simple extrapolation of the growth trends. Okay, anytime someone says a simple extra, uh, uh, I can't even say it now, extrapolation of growth trends. Anytime they say that, that may be simple for them, not always for me, but here's what they say. It will lead to two more points of 10 times growth. So here's what it means. I'll put it up on the screen. It means this, basically. By 2040, a 23% annual growth rate would equal 4.2 billion disciples in movements. And by 2045, a 23% annual growth rate would equal 12 billion disciples, which would exceed the world's total estimated population for 2050. If the movements that are happening in our world continue at the growth rate they've been seeing since these movements move, they're saying within our lifetime, within the next 30 years, we should be able to see every space, every unreached people group hear the gospel. Are we guaranteed that it's going to keep tracking like that? No. Are there really hard places that are going into? Yes. And that can feel like it's going to slow. Yet, they say as each place where movement is entering, it's filling up, And the result is they're learning rapidly to cross successfully harder cultural, linguistic, and political lines on the map. And so these disciples are doing what for many people it just seems impossible to do. Now, we know not every person is going to respond. We know Jesus says that the gate is narrow, narrow, the way is narrow. But we can go to every person. We can share the gospel. Our goal is to share with every person and family and group and pray that none would perish but all would come to repentance. That is our goal. That's our prayer. That's our vision. That's what we want to see. And Justin Long says that, that when he's talking to believers that are often in some of these places where they're underground, Because of the opposition and the persecution that is so fierce, where they see Christians as a threat. And so the government, as well as other religious authorities, are trying to suppress them and oppress them and keep it from happening. And so in many ways, they're underground. And so when he gets in contact with believers like that and begins to see just how vast the number of believers are in those regions, which obviously they're not coming out and telling everybody they're a believer. It's happening there and spreading he said to some of those believers, his question was this, when will you become visible? Like right now you're invisible right now, but when will you become visible? And the one he was talking to said, when there are so many of us that nothing can be done about it anymore. Like they are growing and multiplying exponentially. And he says there's going to come a moment when they're not going to do anything about that anymore. This is what we call movement. And Paul would say that the gospel is spreading throughout the whole world. I wanted to share this with you because it's good news. It's good news not just the good news of the gospel, but it's the good news that people like Epaphras are taking it to other people who are taking it to other people and it is growing and it is expanding. And when there's so much bad news around us, we have a lot of good news that it is exponentially multiplying over and over again. And what is our response supposed to be whenever we get some good news and it's come to you? What are we supposed, what's our response supposed to be? Gratitude. Gratitude. Can we just celebrate right now and just do that and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that it's expanding and growing. And Lord, we are praying for that. Holy Spirit, just keep growing. Keep expanding your kingdom. So movement's happening, and God, we want to be a part of it. Lord, we have a role to play in this. You've commanded this of us, and so we just pray that, God, there would be advancement. Your Holy Spirit would continue to move in powerful ways, and we pray that the gospel would reach faraway places. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is what we want you to do today. Don't just have gratitude for those who brought the gospel to you, but also let's celebrate that the gospel is growing throughout the whole world. Let's celebrate it. Disciples entering the harvest field and sharing the gospel and making disciples and they're forming churches and they're raising up leaders and it's, it's happening and we get to be a part of it. I, I want to show, I, I'd come across this video a while back and I just found it encouraging how in some of these places, how you can see the gospel going from place to place and people to people and And it was a a video I saw from the 2414 movement. And uh, I just want to just show it to you so that at the very end, you can just see some of the powerful numbers that are coming out as people are making disciples in places throughout the world. So, you know, just be encouraged by it and you can give your attention to the screen.
2: Jesus's last words on earth were, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's called the Great Commission, and we think that if Jesus said it, that should be our goal. Now, imagine this is your assignment. You must reach a group of eight million people who have never heard of Jesus before. To make it more realistic, it is illegal to work with this group. The dominant religion of the area will imprison or even kill people if they become followers of Jesus. The area is hard to get to, has extreme poverty, and is filled with warfare and violence. You might say, we'll reach some of them, as many as we can, you know, one person at a time. But that's not what Jesus asked us to do. He asked us to reach all of them seems impossible, right? But the Bible says within two years every Jew and Greek in the province of Asia had heard about Jesus. How did they reach 15 million people? A few years ago we began to really take notice of hints in the Bible. We talked to people around the world who had seen hundreds of thousands of people become believers. We discovered a biblical process which can be described as church planting movements, CPM for short, and this is how it works. We start by desperately asking God where He wants us to go and what He wants us to do. We've learned that God has already started working with people, even before we get there. He creates a spiritual hunger in certain individuals. In Luke 10, they are called persons of peace. A first step is to walk through villages and neighborhoods, asking God to show us these people he's spiritually stirring. Just like Jesus' disciples in Luke 10, through conversations we share about God and pray for miracles. If they respond with interest, we suggest meeting with their family and friends where they can hear stories about God from the Bible. Just like the early disciples, we hope to meet with groups of people as a way of spreading the news of Jesus as far as possible through their social networks. We call these gatherings discovery groups. We read a Bible story, ask those present to retell the story in their own words, and then ask for questions. What does this story tell us about God? What does this story tell us about people? What does it tell us we ought to do? And who am I going to tell what I've learned? Teaching doesn't come from us. We just ask questions. The teaching comes from scripture and the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing how much better the Holy Spirit is at teaching than we are. Within a few weeks, we step away and coach the group to continue learning from the Bible how to obey God, which allows us to meet more new people and try to start another group. Each week, the group reads a new Bible story and asks the same four questions. Amazingly, even before they would call themselves believers, they are beginning to obey God in their life because they're asking the question, what does this story tell us we ought to do? They begin to treat people differently, their wife, their husband, their friends, their enemies. They begin to live less selfishly, to help people in need, to stop using people, to live more honestly. And often their community begins to notice. Because they're naturally sharing with others what they're learning, their friends become intrigued and want to know more. Soon a new group forms because they've seen how simple it is to meet with a group and study what God has to say about life. Before long, these groups become home fellowships or churches. Disciples begin making disciples who make disciples. Churches begin making churches who make churches. And growth begins to happen exponentially, just like it occurred in the New Testament. Just like Paul in the early church, we check in on our friends from time to time to see how they're doing and to encourage them. If they have questions, we mostly refer them back to Scripture so they realize they don't need us, they need God. The question has been asked, is the faith of these people shallow? Actually the exact opposite. When they're asked the question, what does this story tell us we ought to do? They are challenged to put what they've learned into practice. It's not theory to be learned, but a new life to be tried. It's obedience that keeps it from being shallow. Does this kind of rapid growth lead to heresy? Not usually, because the Holy Spirit is teaching rather than a dominant human leader. Everyone is answering with their own insights of what God is teaching them. They challenge answers that don't come from Scripture. It's a healthy group dynamic that leads to surprising maturity. Does it work? When groups of believers reproduce to at least four generations, then we consider this a movement of God, and it tends to be self-sustaining with momentum to continue. Amongst all of the organizations that use CPM principles, including our own, Thousands of movements are active worldwide, and they're present on every continent. In India, some movements have reached 14, 15, and even 30 generations, including one movement with over 20 million baptized believers and at least 500,000 house churches. In Southeast Asia, there is a movement with over a half a million believers many of these movements are happening in the hardest, most unimaginable places. God seems to be doing something new, or more accurately, something old. It's been around for more than 2,000 years, tracing back to a Savior and 12 improbable followers who changed the world. But we're now rediscovering and applying them. And the results are taking us beyond where we thought
1: possible. Church, can we just celebrate right now that what God is doing around the world is evidence there. We're praising God for those baptized believers that are making more disciples. And, and it's the result of exponential growth. I read years ago about the game of chess. It was created in India. And that the king of India there loved the game. It was created there. And I've read different versions of this story, and there's probably some hyperbole with it all. But Lahur Sesus supposedly invented this game of chess. And the king of India, in order to honor him for the game that he loved so much and preferred, he said, ask for what, what you wish, and I want to I grant it to you. And the young man said this. He, he had the, the chessboard right there. It's only 64 squares. He says, I want you to put one grain of rice on the first square and just double it on every square. So two on the second, four on the third, eight on the fourth, 16 on the fifth. And the king just started laughing. He's like, if that's what you want, well, great. He told the servant, give him what he wants and double the rice and put it on the, on the board. After some hours of counting, the servant came back to the king and said, it's impossible. We can't do it. He's like, what do you mean you can't do it? I guess he was about as good at math as I am, I suppose, And they said, well, here's the problem. By the time we got to the 12th square, it was 2048. The 30th square was 536 million. The 40th square was 550 billion. If we were to fulfill this request, we wouldn't even have enough grains of rice in our entire kingdom because it's over 18 quintillion. Just 64 squares. That's the power of exponential growth and multiplication. In fact, one grain of rice weighs 0.029 grams. And if you multiply that out for the chessboard, it would have been 535 billion tons of rice. That's the power of multiplication, exponential growth. It can change things so quickly. Here's another example. All 7 billion people on this planet, I've read this before, it could be reached in less than 17 years. Maybe you've heard this one before if we all reach just one person every six months for the next 16 and a half years, it just shows the power of multiplication. And it's never this easy, but this is, it shows you exponential growth. In year one, there's four disciples. In year two, there's 16. In year three, 64. In year five, 1,024. In year 17, there's uh, over 17 billion. Well, that's more than our world's population. That's the power of exponential growth. And we're just praying that as Paul, who would be writing from Rome to this church in Colossae and say, the gospel is spreading everywhere, he would later say, to every creature on the earth, and maybe been using a little bit of hyperbole as he writes that. It's not actually to every person in the whole earth, on the whole planet. Maybe there's a little bit of hyperbole there as he's explaining it, but he's talking about this phenomenon of exponential growth that was already happening in the early church where there was significant growth happening in disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. And he was seeing it happen and how it was changing lives. And and he's describing what we want to see today as well. And we are just privileged to be living in an age where we see the gospel advancing in ways that some of those who have come before us didn't get to see. It ought to encourage our hearts. And in fact, it ought to inspire us to say, man, I, I want to make a disciple. Who makes disciples? I want to be a part of this. And this is one of the reasons that we, we have some disciple making trainings that we're offering. And in fact, next week we're kicking it off again. And so I, I want to put this up on the screen because we have disciple making trainings one, two, three, and four happening next week, September tenth at two thirty to five thirty p.m. And if you, we just want to invite you to come because we're growing in this. We're, we're learning in this how we too can be a part of that to equip people to do it. And I love it because it's actually happening. It's working. We're, we continue to hear stories where people are using these tools, taking these approaches, doing things they've never done before to make disciples. One of the good things about next Sunday, September 10th, is um, for those of you with children, we're going to have childcare available for us out making trainings. And uh, so I know if you got kids, that's something that's it's incredibly helpful. And so here's how you sign up for that. It's really simple. If you've got kids, you're probably yours perked up here. But just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash childcare. And that's how you sign up. You'll see there options to sign up for childcare, depending on what you're doing. If it's rooted, that's why I'm wearing my shirt today. I'm excited about Rooted starting next week, which you can sign up today. I think you've got till like tomorrow. I think sign ups end. Like this might be the last day for sign-up. So... I want to encourage you to get in on Rooted and experience that incredible experience. That starts next Sunday. Disciple-making training starts next Sunday. we got child care going on for all this stuff that we want you to sign up for and be a part of it. And uh, so do that soon so that we can prepare. And, um, and we just want you to be trained and equipped to do this better. And we're doing this because as Colossians 1 says, and I'm just going to read a few verses here again, 6 through 8, where Paul just says in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love for the Spirit these words just inspire me to say, first of all, I just want to show gratitude to those who have shared the gospel with me. Would you do that with me this week? Let's share our gratitude to those who who brought the gospel to us. And number two, would we trust the gospel that it's bearing fruit in our lives and it's bearing fruit throughout the world? Let's trust that it's happening. And let's celebrate that the gospel is spreading throughout the whole world. Let's continue to celebrate that. Let's share it with others. Let's share the good news. But then to be really specific, I think I just want to encourage you to be an Epaphras to someone else. You could be that voice with someone else where you say, hey, good news has come to you. It's come to you. So that they too could be filled with gratitude for what they have received from Jesus, the forgiveness of their sins, that they've been healed, that they've been forgiven, they've been transformed by the power of Jesus, that they're given new life, they have the hope of heaven, they're filled with the deep love and they have a faith in Jesus. We just wanna pray for that. We want to pray that we be a church that we continue to make disciples and, and we would give ourselves to this work. And, and that's why we want to continue to pray for this. When you pray your Live, Work, Learn playlist, when you go to prayer.global and pray for the world, you are continuing to go before God in his power because we cannot do this in our own strength. It requires the Holy Spirit of God moving powerfully in us. And one of the things I wanna encourage you to pray for this week, in fact, we got a team leaving tomorrow for Honduras. I'd like for the ladies that are in our service right here to come up here that are a part of that. And those ladies are headed to Honduras tomorrow. Um, Are gonna be Tammy Hill and Lori Medlin and Annie Hampton and Carolyn Thompson and Leanne Renz. They're going to be partnering with Jim and Terry Riley, who we support as a church family to do a women's conference for uh, over 226 women have registered for this. And among them are 33 teens and 25 girls. Uh, most of them, you know, obviously they're from Honduras who are coming to a conference that we've supported, and been a part of for many years here at Northside. And I want us to be praying for these gals because they're going to a place that's dark and it's hard. And there's an incredible amount of brokenness and wounds and the enemies gain gain such ground there. We're praying that that the light will burst through the darkness and show Jesus there in a powerful way. And so uh, Lori and I were talking about that this week. And I just asked Lori if she would just come to share with us some ways that we can be praying uh, for their team and for the women there. And may this inform your prayers for this week as we continue to want to see disciples, making disciples throughout the world. And so Lori, why don't you share with us?
0: So as I was listening to the sermon, I was... Uh, thinking that you guys are kind of a part of a divine setup here today, I think, um, and you have a, uh, an opportunity today to participate in movement for the kingdom, and um, <clears throat> we are—we know that right now some of our friends are worshiping on the north coast, and they are begging the Lord um, to redeem their church because it is right now falling apart. Um, we also know that it, some more of our friends on the North Coast are begging the Lord on behalf of their church because their pastor just walked out a few weeks ago. He decided um, that he didn't want to be married to his wife of almost 30 years and just left. Um, they are facing a lot of spiritual oppression right now, and they, um, they need a move of Jesus, um, the gangs are rapidly increasing in power and the Hondurans are rapidly losing hope. So you have a chance this week to participate um, in praying over these women that are going to be at this conference. There's going to be 226 opportunities for multiplicity this week. 226 women who are going to be learning how to, um, how to attack spiritual darkness through prayer And um, then they will be going back to communities all over the country um, and even Guatemala and hopefully um, spreading that light to um, the people in their lives. And it's my prayer that... that the, the promise that God made to the Israelites in Jeremiah and um, Jeremiah 29:11 through 14 would be a hope and would become a reality for the Hondurans as well. And it says, um, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you hope and a future. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And they need to be found by God. Amen.
1: Amen. So church, let's pray right now for this and pray for these ladies going, but also let's commit to praying for them. Um, they leave tomorrow. We'll be gone to September 11th. And so Lord, we just join in this prayer. The God, we do pray that they would know the hope that you give the promises that you give, promises of of a future in which, Lord, you are with them and you are empowering them. And Lord, you have plans for them. And God, we just want to pray that everyone that's coming to this conference would be able to see the light of Jesus, that you would break down the walls, the barriers, the hindrances, that Lord, they would come and experience vulnerability and openness, with one another and with the gospel. And I know there's a lot of pain there. I know there's a lot of hurt there. I know there's a lot of fear there. All these things that Satan creates. We want to pray that the kingdom would advance against the darkness. We want to pray that light would shine. Lord, we want to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower these hearts, not only to believe and follow Jesus, but to be empowered to live for Jesus. That, Lord, they would know what it's like to be bold in the power and strength that your Holy Spirit gives them. Lord, what it's like to go back to their homes and their families and their communities with the message of Jesus. And Lord, I know it, it's in so many ways it seems impossible, but all things are possible with you. And so we pray that you would do a good work. I pray for these ladies, each of them as they bring their own gifts as members of the body and each with a different role to play. That Lord, you would allow them to be your hands and your feet, an extension of who you are and that, Lord, they would love and serve well, and that, Lord, as a team, they would function well together. You would give them strength and help and energy that you provide, and that you would give them wisdom and insight and eyes to see, what Jesus, what you see. You would give them, whether it's words to say or a hug or an act of love or, Lord, just an act of service, I want to pray that you would use them this week. And we want to pray for the hearts of these women. And, Lord, we pray for our team there, too, Jim and Terry. Uh, we pray for them and your blessing over them. Go before them, give them safety and travel on a busy holiday weekend. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. So thank you. Well, i want to ask you churches to go ahead and stand to your feet today because this really is a moment where we too want to go. We want to leave and do whatever God has called you to do, whatever he wants to do in your life. He's changing lives all over the world. He wants to change yours. You would open your heart up to him today. Perhaps today you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. You need to be baptized into Christ. You've yet to make that decision. I don't know what's been keeping you back or holding you back, but today's the day because God wants to use you to be a part of his kingdom growth. Maybe you want to pray with someone today. Our prayer team's going to come down here to the front and sides of the room. They've already been praying for you. They've already been praying with people today. They want to pray for you and with you. Right now, so even as we sing here in a moment, you can come and kind of just pray with them. Invite the Holy Spirit to do good work in your life or someone you love and care about that you want to know Jesus. I'm going to be stepping out to decision points in these doors, and if today you want to begin a relationship with Jesus or you want to recommit your life or you want to have a conversation with that, I'd love to meet, talk, and pray with you there. Maybe you're watching online and you can just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision to begin that conversation. Another response today is to give to what God's doing around the world. The workers that our team is working with, Jim and Terry Riley, we support a percentage of all of your offerings go to support the work there in Honduras to see the gospel advance. So I would encourage you to give generously today. Give to the Lord. And you can do that through the information you see on the screen or at the boxes on the walls as you leave at the doors. But let's give to the Lord today. So church, I just want to pray that the Spirit of God would help you see the gospel that you've received, that you would be filled with gratitude, that you would be an Epaphras to someone else. Let's sing together. Let's respond to what God would have us
0: Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good
2: care of each other, Northside.